0: Back to the Beck and Call Podcast. I'm your host, Merritt Beck. I am a longtime fashion blogger and a single woman in my 30s who loves to chat all things life, work, and love. So I wanted to bring that to life on this podcast. You can consider the Beck and Call Podcast a weekly catch-up with your internet bestie, where I discuss recent recs and reviews, answer listener questions, and discuss fun, interesting topics relevant to women in their 20s, 30s, and beyond. Each episode follows the same structure with dedicated segments you can rely on week after week. So, without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Can y'all believe it's almost Christmas? I know I say this every single year, but I really feel like 2022 has flown by, especially the last couple of months. I feel like Maybe it's just the holiday season, and I've been out of town quite a bit with Thanksgiving and the Europe trip, but I just feel like everything's just happening so fast. (laughs) Like, I can't keep up. I've decided that this is going to be my last episode of the year. I just don't want to stress about getting a new episode live when I'm in Austin over the holiday, and I'm sure y'all are going to be too busy anyway with your family and friends to be listening to me talk to myself, so... (laughs) From the bottom of my heart, I just wanted to thank each and every one of you for taking the time to listen to my podcast this year. Whether you've listened to just a few episodes or you've listened to every single one, it truly means so much to me that any of you would spend your valuable time listening to me. So again, thank you so much. It means the world. Over the weekend, I asked the Beck and Call podcast Instagram followers for feedback on the podcast, and I received a lot of helpful information and insights from you guys. So thank you for that. I always want to try and make this podcast the absolute best it can be so that it's something you'll always enjoy. So your feedback is definitely important to me. I'm going to be pouring over all of the feedback that y'all submitted on Instagram this week before I take off for Christmas and will likely be making a few tweaks in the new year as I start planning future episodes. So stay tuned for that. I'm sure I'll share more about that in January, but thank you again for sending that in. Before we get into a quick recap of my week, just a reminder to follow along on Instagram at Beck and Call Podcast. I share episode visual guides, audio clips, more exclusive content there. It's also where I pull the audience and crowdsource listener content for episodes. So if you want to participate and be included in that, definitely need to be following along. Just go to Instagram and search Beck and Call Podcast and you'll find me. Naturally, because it's the week before Christmas, this week was full of social plans. On Tuesday night, I hosted the final game night of the year for my girlfriends, and we decided to make this one festive with a pretty decent holiday spread. I picked up some delicious goodies from Festive Kitchen, which if you're not from Dallas, you probably won't care about this. but It's just a really good place to get gourmet food ready to go. They have frozen cookie dough. They have pre-made casseroles. They have amazing appetizers for parties. It's just a really delicious spot to get things if you don't want to make anything yourself. Um, And so I got some stuff from there, but those game nights have been something I've looked so forward to each time we do them. So I hope we can continue making it a monthly thing in the new year, but it's fun to celebrate with them. We did miss one person. My friend Taylor was not there that night, uh, but hopefully I'll get to see her before the end of the year. On Wednesday night, I grabbed dinner with Emma at Carbone's, not to be confused with Carbone. Carbone's has been in Dallas for years, whereas Carbone is a New York-based restaurant that recently opened a location in Dallas. Carbone and the sister restaurant, Vino, have been hugely popular since opening, and Dallas-based Carbone's decided to sue Carbone Dallas and Major Food Group, which represents both restaurants, claiming they infringed upon Carbone's trademark, citing confusion for customers and vendors between the similarly named restaurants. The lawsuit was actually withdrawn in September and Carbones is planning to do a major design overhaul as well as a name change in the new year. So with all of that said, I was excited to try it before they close in January and change it all up. I kind of can't believe I've never been there. I feel like I've lived nearby it before. I've had friends rave about it over the years, but it just I've never gone. I don't know why I've just never been Based on what Emma and other people who love Carbones have said about it, I had fairly high expectations going into it. And while the food was good, it didn't blow me away. And there was little to no ambiance in the restaurant. And I totally see why they're doing a makeover. It's part store, part restaurant. And aside from a few framed photos on the wall, there weren't any decorative elements that added to the experience or gave it any kind of, kind of ambiance or good vibes it just felt kind of sterile and too bright like the lighting was too bright i don't know uh i don't know how else to describe it but if you see photos of the the interior you'll know what i'm talking about the food is no frills italian so nothing too fancy or out there they're not getting like super creative with ingredients think spaghetti and meatballs tortellini with vodka sauce lasagna again the food was good but i definitely prefer the options at il bracco and vino there's just more variety like some of the Some of the pastas there and items there have a lighter touch. I feel like a lot of the stuff at Carbone is more heavy-handed and that the flavors just aren't as elevated, I guess. But I don't know. It was good, and I obviously had a fun time with Emma, but I'll be eager to see if it's different when I go back after they've done the redesign. Speaking of Il Braco, I actually went there on Friday to celebrate my friend Courtney's birthday over lunch with a few friends. And the one annoying thing about Il Braco that I haven't mentioned previously when I've spoken about it is that they won't seat you until your entire party is there, even if you have a reservation. And I know a lot of restaurants do this now, but I hate it. (laughs) Two of my friends were pretty late. And so Courtney and I just had to stand by the bar, did have wine, so it wasn't terrible and obviously I got to catch up with her solo, which was nice. But we were standing there for like thirty minutes waiting for our friends to get there. And I would have preferred if we could like sit down and get an appetizer or something. It just kind of that was annoying. But Food at El Brocco is always top notch. Friday night was a fun one because my friend Amy was in town celebrating her birthday. We had dinner at a new restaurant called El Carlos Elegante. It's a Mexican restaurant in the Design District by Duro Hospitality, which is the same restaurant group as the Charles and Sister. The vibe at El Carlos Elegante was super fun, super lively. They have fireplaces in the front and back of the restaurant, both of which were decorated for the holidays with stockings and Christmas trees. It just was really cozy and warm. I also really loved the design and artwork in this space. It was very attractive, very colorful. It's the perfect spot for a fun night out, especially because it is right behind Double D's, which is a new kind of retro bar. It's very cool and fun. I went there weekend before last with some other friends, and it just so happens to be right behind that bar. So it's sort of a fun combo spot if you are looking for a fun night out in Dallas. We had a reservation at 8.30 to sit down for dinner, but we weren't seated until 9, so the restaurant is definitely still working out some kinks. The service was incredible. They ended up comping several apps to make up for the delay, and were constantly checking on us to make sure that we liked what we were getting and to see if we needed anything. And while I loved the vibe and the service, I thought the food was just okay. The influences were Mexican, Chilean, Argentinian, and Peruvian. So think ceviches, masa, wood-fire grilled items. So it's a, a wide variety, but it still feels kind of limited, if that makes any sense. <laughs> it's just it's very specific. Of all the things we ordered, the veal osobuco carnitas were my favorite. They were really tender, perfectly seasoned, sauced, etc., And I also really loved one of the salads we got. And I believe looking at the menu, it was the Tijuana Caesar. It was kind of spicy. It had poblano peppers in there. It also had a nice crunch to it. And then for dessert, we had this delicious Mexican chocolate dessert, which was basically a chocolate mousse with this spicy meringue on top. Loved that too. But I didn't think any of the other dishes we ordered were that memorable. And we ordered a lot because it's all shareable. With that said, I definitely go back. It was super fun. And like I said, happens to be behind double D's, which is such a great combo for a night out. I ended up taking the rest of the weekend pretty easy, but I did get a little work done and I organized around my house because I thought that our Mahjong group was going to get together Sunday afternoon, but we actually had two people back out at the last minute. So it didn't end up happening, but at least my house looks clean. One of our group is actually moving to Chicago, so we're going to need to find somebody to take her spot in 2023. I just, I loved playing this year and I would love to keep that up. So maybe I'll even start a second group so I can play more often, but I just got to find people who want to play and can commit to playing regularly. Now let's get into some new Rex and reviews. I spent most of my week watching the second season of Firefly Lane, which is a drama on Netflix if you've never heard of it. It stars Katherine Heigl, who you may recall from Grey's Anatomy. She played Izzy Stevens and Sarah Chalk, who play lifelong best friends. And the show follows them as they navigate life changes, traumas, romances, etc. The show jumps around quite a lot in terms of the timeline because it's flashing back to their childhood experience and early adulthood right when they're starting their first jobs. And it gives context to the stories they're facing and going through in the present day scenes. While I wouldn't say the writing is that good, nor is the acting good, (laughs) it's a cute story and it is an enjoyable watch. I actually really love that this show hops around to different decades so much because it's fun to see the changes in the fashion and the music and their lifestyles through the years. To be honest, I don't remember what all happened in season one, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, It's one of those shows that you can kind of hop into anywhere and get the idea of it pretty quickly. There's not a lot happening in terms of like complexity. So uh, it's just sort of a mindless, cute watch. Definitely a girl show. (laughs) I wouldn't say it's uh, one you'd maybe want to watch with your husband, but it's a cute girl show. And yeah, after Firefly Lane, I switched things up with a thriller called Prisoners. And I'd never heard of it, and it's not new. It's actually from 2013, but I guess it was new to Netflix because it was showing up in the top 10 list this week. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal as a detective investigating the disappearance of two young girls whose fathers are played by Hugh Jackman and Terrence Howard, respectively. While I thought it was a pretty good watch, the movie felt all over the place, and some of the violence felt way too gratuitous. It has really good reviews, though. I think it's like 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. And the story is good. But with that said, part of the ending was satisfying, but it also felt a little anticlimactic at the same time. I just wasn't excited about the villain in the story. I feel like they needed a better villain or at least more character development of the person who was the villain. It just seemed sort of random at the end. I I don't know. Um, But it was still a fun watch. So if you love a thriller, if you love crime genres, definitely check out Prisoners. And then after finishing that movie, I watched Emily the Criminal. So, Aubrey Plaza is definitely having a moment, first with White Lotus Season 2, and now with this new crime thriller movie on Netflix. Emily the Criminal is about a woman saddled with student debt who struggles to find a decent job thanks to her criminal record. She ends up getting involved in a credit card scam and basically acts as a dummy shopper, which I had no idea what that was until I watched this show. But basically what she does is she uses stolen credit card information to buy things like big TVs and then turns around and sells them to people on Craigslist. Even though she's clearly a criminal and seems to make some very poor life choices. There were moments where I found myself relating to her, which I feel like made the movie really good. So, for example, one of her friends offers to hook her up with a job, which she thinks is going to be a great opportunity. It's like doing graphic design. She's an artist. It kind of makes sense. But when she gets there, it ends up being an unpaid internship. And she didn't know that going into the interview. And of course, she's frustrated. She's a grown woman, like out of college. She's not going to work for free. And so she kind of lets the employer have it for asking a grown woman to work for no money. And I was sort of like, yeah, girl, (laughs) like you just kind of find yourself cheering her on throughout the movie, even though she's obviously not the best person. She's like making dumb decisions. But anyway, I really liked this movie. So watch Emily, the criminal on Netflix. I'm not sure what compelled me to do this, but on Saturday, I was scrolling through HBO Max, looking for something else to watch after I finished that movie. And I came upon the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I didn't realize that HBO Max had, I guess, I don't know if they have the rights to it, but they, of course, have the license to have it on HBO Max. But I never read the books. I loved the movies. But what I didn't know is that they're extended versions of each movie. So if you've never seen the movies, The movie theater version of each of the Lord of the Rings movies are, they're all under three hours because not many people are going to go to a movie theater and sit there for that long. Whereas the extended versions are all about four hours. And because I loved the movies, I was curious what they might have left out of the movie theater version. So I decided to give them a watch on Saturday and Sunday. And after seeing all three, I can confidently say the stuff that they removed needed to get cut. All of the extra scenes just felt silly and it would have dumbed down the entire movie theater version if they'd left it in. And most of the stuff they cut out was like additional character development that didn't feel necessary for secondary characters like Boromir, Faramir, Aon. If you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm sorry, skip ahead. Um, There was also a lot of additional dialogue in a number of scenes. There were kind of dramatic things that happened that seemed unnecessary, which is I guess why they cut it out. But they did. I will say the extended versions did give me a little more context that I didn't get from the movies that were in the book. So for example, Aragorn's age, I had no idea he was supposed to be in his eighties In the extended version. He says that he's 87 years old, but of course he looks like he's maybe 40 or in his forties. So that was a wild revelation. I also never knew how old Gandalf was, which was cleared up in the extended version as well. It said something, he said something about living 300 lives of men. So I guess he's, I don't know even, does that mean he's 300 or does it mean he's 300 times like the average uh, life expectancy? (laughs) I don't know, but um, those were sort of interesting details I picked up that I wouldn't have known because I didn't read the books. So while I wouldn't say watching the extended versions was a complete waste of time, I could safely say you're better off just watching the movie theater editions. Last but not least, let's chat about the last three episodes of the Harry and Meghan docuseries on Netflix. I'm really excited because my friend Kate Kennedy of Be There in Five is going to be doing a recap of the entire docuseries with Carmen of the Good Karma blog. And I can't wait to listen to that. I think they're going to release it later this week on her Patreon and then on her podcast, Be There in Five. So I'm definitely going to listen to that. I can't wait to hear what they talk about. But I gave my recap of the first three episodes in last week's podcast episode. So if you want to hear that, go back and listen. When comparing the first half and the second half of the docuseries, the tone is very different. The first half felt way more lighthearted, and while they didn't share any major bombshells in it, it felt like we got a good look at who they are as people, like just generally what they're like. We saw behind the scenes of their courtship and Meghan being introduced to the royal family. And then the second half of the docuseries takes a more serious tone, focusing on what led Harry to wanting to leave the UK and the move for them to step down from their roles in the royal family. The two biggest focuses of that were the rift with his brother, Prince William, and the incessant negative tabloid coverage of Meghan, which often came at times when the royal family was trying to cover up unfavorable coverage of more senior royals. One of the things that struck me and surprised me most was Harry revealing that William released a quote unquote joint statement with Harry about how their relationship was great and there was no rift without even consulting Harry and getting his okay for the joint statement to be released. Harry didn't even know. The only reason he found out is because he got a text message about it or an email, I can't remember. But still, I just, that was surprising to me. But I guess not so much now that I've watched the whole thing and know how tied in the royal family is to that tabloid coverage and owning their narrative and trying to control everything. Harry also makes it very clear that several times he tried to work things out before their final decision to leave, and their plans always kept getting leaked, even when he'd only sent the information to his father, Prince Charles. So the, only, the natural assumption is that Prince Charles' office leaked it, or Prince Charles leaked it. In both of these scenarios, Harry is saying that the damage is coming from inside, not just the tabloids themselves that his own family was feeding his private personal requests to the tabloids to make themselves look better and make Harry and Meghan out to be the bad guys. I really appreciated that Harry clearly stated he was the one who made the decision to leave. Meghan has received all of the blame for that, Megxit, for example, uh, when ultimately it was Harry all along, so I'm really glad we heard that. It did feel like they left out some content on purpose. For example, not showing what William texted his brother after the Oprah interview. I think we were all like, "Show us the text." I'm assuming they're saving some of those details for Harry's memoir, which comes out in early January, and I cannot wait to read it. I already pre-ordered the audiobook. It's called Spare, if you want to find it. One thing I've heard from a lot of people who just don't like Meghan or don't agree with this docu-series is the fact that the couple is quote-unquote airing dirty laundry. My argument to that is that the royal family, in partnership with the tabloids, have been doing this to Meghan from day one. They've been airing dirty laundry about her family, calling her a bully, how she made Kate cry, resurfacing old rumors to discredit her. This is Meghan's chance to set the record straight and use her voice after having to just suck it up and take it for several years. Is the docuseries also self-serving and a cash grab? Absolutely. (laughs) They need to make money. They're now not on the payroll of the royal family and have to pay for their own security and livelihoods. So it makes sense that they would sign on for something major like this and they're going to have to share some details. But the series as a whole focused way more on the tabloids and their stronghold on the royal family, how they rely on each other and the twisted links both sides will go to to control or change the narrative. So I found that particularly interesting. Uh, Like I said, not a ton of bombshells, it was mostly pointing the finger at William and the other people in the firm who were kind of releasing information that they weren't supposed to and doing it to take a dig at Megan to cover up other things that were happening in the royal family that they wanted to move the coverage away from. Anyway, I just I'm very eager to read harry's book i kind of feel like that's going to be the last thing that we hear for a long while because you know last year we had the oprah interview this year we've had this docu-series and now we're going to have his book so i think we're really going to kind of have their full picture anyway by the end of next month My last episode of the year, I thought it would be a fun time to reflect on 2022 and share my favorite moments and best discoveries this year. From my favorite TV shows and podcasts to the best books I read to sharing more personal highlights like my favorite trips and work achievements, I thought we'd just cover it all. But I think this is going to be a fairly short episode. Hopefully, it's entertaining for you guys as you head home on the holidays. But let's get into it. Let's start with my favorite podcast since this is a podcast. (laughs) So I have a lot of podcasts in my weekly rotation, but in 2022, I started listening to one that I have now become obsessed with. You could probably already guess what it is because I've mentioned it so many times this year already in other episodes. It's called The Blonde Files Podcast by Ariel Lori. And in it, Ariel talks about all things wellness from fitness, nutrition, and gut health to beauty trends, skincare, plastic surgery, and literally everything in between. She interviews experts in their field and also gets honest about her own experiences trying various wellness trends, plastic surgery procedures, and more. I wouldn't say I'm even really a wellness junkie or care that much about beauty and skincare stuff, but I feel like I've learned so much thanks to her podcast. Plus, Arielle has a really soothing voice, so the Blonde Files podcast is a super easy listen, and you'll also get some great takeaways from it. I feel like I've just learned a lot. I feel like it's helped in my own wellness journey. I would love to have her on my podcast at some point. I just think she's great. So, And I've, I really have enjoyed following her on Instagram as well. So definitely check out the Blonde Files podcast. Now let's get into books. I feel like I read some amazing books this year. I'm generally a mystery, thriller, or memoir reader for the most part, but actually one of my favorite books this year was neither of those genres. The Hotel Nantucket by Elin Hildebrand is definitely at the top of my list and is the epitome of a beach read. It's about a Nantucket woman, Elizabeth Keaton, who, fresh off a breakup, is looking for a new job to mix things up. And she becomes the new general manager of the Hotel Nantucket, which is an old hotel that was purchased by a British billionaire to revamp it and give it a fresh start. And the book is not just about her. It's about the entire staff at the hotel. It's about the guests. It's about the inner workings of running a hotel. There is scandal, there is romance, there's a mystery, there's even a ghost story. This book really has it all. So I highly recommend it. I read it so quickly. It was just so enjoyable, and I really loved the audiobook. Another favorite book I read this year is of the memoir variety. Token Black Girl, written by Danielle Prescott, is about Danielle's experience being the token black girl basically her whole life from the prestigious, mostly white school she attended as an adolescent to her career in fashion and publishing. She discusses the uncomfortable moments, the microaggressions, and everything in between. I'd followed Danielle on Instagram for a while, so I was really excited to learn more about her, and this book totally delivers on that, but it also opened my eyes to things I never considered before that Black women go through on a daily basis. Although her memoir features some definitely heartbreaking moments, Danielle brings the funny too. She's a very witty writer. Um, I really recommend it, and again, I listened to this on audiobook and enjoyed that too. In the thriller genre, my favorite book was The Housemaid by Frida McFadden. It's about a young woman who goes to work for an affluent family as a live-in housekeeper, and she quickly discovers it's a toxic and potentially dangerous environment and struggles to keep her cool when things start to fall apart around her. It's one that will absolutely keep you on your toes, whether you read it or listen to the audiobook version. I really enjoyed this book. It was so captivating. I tried to read one of Frieda McFadden's other books and hated the audiobook, but this audiobook was great. Last but not least is Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. This one I actually learned about from Bad on Paper Podcast, specifically Olivia, who said this is one of her all-time favorite books. When reading this synopsis, it didn't seem like a book I'd care about, but I'm so glad I went through with it. I highly recommend listening to this audiobook as opposed to reading it, though, as it gives life to some of the conversations had, thanks to a few sound effects and other embellishments that you won't get from just reading the book. Project Tail Mary is about a scientist who is sent into space on an Earth-saving mission and on the journey makes an unlikely friend in the process. It's a story about humanity and friendship, but there's also a lot about space, science, technology. Like I said before, based on that, I really wasn't expecting to like it, and I loved it. Becca and Olivia actually mentioned this in last week's episode and they're so right, but it really is a crowd pleaser for all age groups and interests would be a great gift idea for a reader in your family. It's just, it's, it's a wonderful book. Moving on, let's talk about the best TV shows I watched. So I watched a lot of TV this year. (laughs) I feel like there were a lot of big news shows that came out in 2022, and I watched most of them. I feel like unless it was Bravo or some other reality show, I probably watched it. Like with the books, it was too hard for me to pick just one favorite, so I'm going to share a list. I have a really hard time narrowing things down if you can't tell. House of the Dragon on HBO Max was definitely at the top of my list. It was one of the most highly anticipated new shows of the year, and for me, it met all of those expectations. Whether you watch Game of Thrones in its entirety or not, House of the Dragon should be on your list. Unlike Game of Thrones, the story moves quickly in the first season of House of the Dragon. If you recall, Game of Thrones always seemed to drag out every storyline, whereas House of the Dragon moves at a much faster pace, keeping your interest peaked throughout the season. There were several time hops in season one, including one where they swapped out actors so certain characters could age. And at first that actually annoyed me, but the older actors were incredibly well cast and I quickly got over that frustration. There were characters you loved and there were characters you loved to hate. And the storyline definitely forces you to choose a side, which was sort of fun. It was just so good, you guys. I cannot wait for season two. I even, I I don't know if I can claim this, but i have been trying to get my mom and Morris to watch the Game of Thrones series forever, and they finally did, and they quickly watched House of the Dragon after that and enjoyed it. So again, I think it's sort of for all age groups, except for if you're a child, don't watch it. (laughs) Another show I really loved this year was The Serpent Queen. It's about Catherine de' Medici and is different than any other royal historical drama I've ever watched. The story is told and narrated by Catherine herself as she's speaking to a young servant girl, Rahima, who's assigned to wait on her. So the beginning and end of each episode is typically present day, not our present day, but I guess Catherine's present day, (laughs) which I'm not going to tell you what that present day is because that might spoil some of it, but... It basically does that with Catherine telling her story to Rahima and then in the middle of the episode, there are flashbacks to when Catherine was marrying into the French court as an orphan teenager and her attempts to win her husband's love, her having children and eventually a struggle for power later on in her life. In the show, Catherine is depicted as a wicked smart, manipulative and conniving woman, which all seems to be the product of how she's been treated at French court by her husband and those she thought she could trust. The actress, I think it's Samantha Morton. I'd have to Google it, but I'm pretty sure that's her name, is the perfect Catherine de' Medici. Like she is, she's exactly what I just mentioned. She's manipulative, conniving. She's very smart. She's very clever. And you never know if you can trust her. It's just such a good watch. It's just a really well-written show and it keeps you hooked the entire time. If you want to watch The Serpent Queen, it is a stars show, but I was able to watch it via Hulu. I got a subscription to watch it. If you're into the horror or thriller genre, a show I obsessed over this year was From. From stars Harold Perrineau, who you may remember as Michael on the TV show Lost. He plays Boyd Stevens, who is the de facto sheriff and leader of a town grappling with unexplained occurrences with horrifying consequences. I don't want to spoil the storyline because there are a lot of great twists and surprises throughout the season, but the show is not for the faint of heart. It's so scary in a jumpy and gruesome way, but it's also creepy in a lingering way that will have you thinking about the show long after you finished it. And let's just say the season finale left me with more questions than answers, so I am eagerly awaiting season two. You can watch From on Epix, which again, I think I watched I think I got that subscription on Amazon. I can't remember, but it's an epic show. Last but not least, I have to recommend Wednesday. If you listen to last week's episode, you've already heard my review, so feel free to skip ahead. But Wednesday on Netflix is definitely ranked in my top favorite shows of the year. It's a riff off The Addams Family with a focus on the daughter, Wednesday Addams. The show follows her as she attends a boarding school with other supernaturally inclined students like werewolves and vampires and banshees. Those are in there, too and it also follows her as she works to solve a mystery that's happening on campus. It is such a clever show, and the actors really bring the content to life. Jenna Ortega plays Wednesday Adams and absolutely nails the deadpan look, the uncaring demeanor, and Wednesday's sadistic nature. There are some amazing twists and turns, the fashion is on point, and they even have Christina Ricci in it, who played Wednesday in the Addams Family movie from the 90s. It's just It's really good. Um, I definitely think it's probably geared toward younger people, but I'm 35 and I loved it. Now let's talk about movies. So it occurred to me as I was making this list that I didn't watch that many movies this year. I guess I'm more of a TV show binger than I am a movie watcher. So that could be the reason. But I also don't feel like there were that many new good movies that came out this year. There are two that come to mind, though. The first is Don't Worry Darling, and I'll be talking more about the drama behind the scenes of the movie in a minute, but I just want to say, despite all the crazy press around the production of the movie, this was actually one of my favorite movies to watch this year. The sets were outrageously beautiful. The sound design was super immersive and captivating. The acting was phenomenal. The story kept you hooked until the very end, and I can't say too much about it without spoiling it, but it's a solid psychological thriller, and there are a lot of great twists and turns. Say what you want about the drama on and off set, but that's entertainment, folks. The second one is Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. So Good Luck to You, Leo Grand is about a widower who decides to hire a sex worker to help her explore her sexuality and fantasies. And while there is quite a bit of sex in it, it actually doesn't end up happening until much later in the episode. And the movie actually focuses way more on the dialogue between the two of them. So Leo Grand, the escort, basically serves as a bit of a therapist for her as she explores her feelings about being with somebody new and doing something some might perceive as taboo. The acting is phenomenal. The writing is clever. And it's a movie that will have you laughing as much as it has you crying. Um, It covers a lot of kind of sensitive subjects and potentially taboo topics. So uh, just a really good movie. Like I said, the acting is great. The guy's really hot also. So (laughs) that helps. I feel like because I listen to podcasts so often, I don't listen to music as much anymore, but I wanted to cover some of my favorite songs. So I feel like the song I heard more than any other song this year and sang more than any other song this year was As It Was by Harry Styles, and I'm not mad about it. It's just a good song, great lyrics. Another song I really found myself singing a lot this year was To Be Loved by Lizzo. It's just so catchy, and I love the lyrics of that too. I will belt that in my car. And last but not least, for A Night Out, Super Freaky Girl by Nicki Minaj was a top one on my playlist. Not appropriate for all audience, but it's a banger. Now let's talk favorite pop culture moments. While this may not be the biggest pop culture moment of the year, I was so invested in the drama around the movie Don't Worry Darling, from how Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde got together to the alleged spats with Florence Pugh and Shia LaBeouf to Spitgate with Harry and Chris Pine at the premiere of the movie, which was denied and joked about later. But still, the evidence, if you watch the video, it does look like Harry spit on Chris Pine. I was obsessed with the coverage about this movie. And I'll tell you what, while I actually don't think any of that was a publicity stunt, I would not be surprised if people in the industry do similar things to drum up press for future productions because all of that drama was wildly successful in getting press for this movie. I was way more excited to watch Don't Worry Darling simply because of all of the drama happening behind the scenes. Now let's talk about more personal stuff. So favorite memory. I feel like a lot of really fun and special things happened this year from my 35th birthday party to my friend Emma's bachelorette weekend in Mexico to my Texas OU party. I hosted a lot of things at my house this year. (laughs) But lots of exciting things to celebrate and it's really hard to narrow it down, but I would definitely place those aforementioned moments at the top of my list. I also really enjoyed being with my mom in Austin in November. We like had our own weekend, spent the entire weekend together. We went to the opera to see my high school friend perform. It was just really special. I don't know. I just the the memories that I hold closest these days are the ones that I am able to spend with my close friends and family. All right. Favorite work achievement. So as far as work achievements and goals go, I think the thing I was most excited about and proud of was securing my very first podcast advertisers this year. Growing a podcast is so slow. <laughs> like I know I've said this before, but I can't reiterate it enough. I realize how lucky I was to have some blog readers and Instagram followers come over to listen to the podcast. But even with that, it took me almost a year to get my first advertiser because there are certain numbers you have to hit. While my podcast has been and probably will always be a work in progress, it's exciting to feel like I'm being recognized for all of the time and effort I'm putting into it. Doing a podcast is not for the pain of heart. It is a lot more work than you think. It's not just people talking. There's a lot of planning and editing <laughs> and promoting and all of it. it's just it's so much more than you expect. So um I'm really excited to finally have kind of some money coming in for it and again being recognized for Making that progress is very exciting. At first, I thought it would be hard to narrow it down, but then I remembered the incredible private chef we had at Villa Zianya for Emma's Bachelorette Weekend and Isla Mujeres. Every meal he made was out-of-this-world amazing. I particularly loved the breakfast he made for us. One that stands out, though, is the coconut French toast he made using pan dulce as the bread. And he served that with a maple syrup that was mixed with mango puree. It was like the coconut and mango flavors together. I mean, it was. It was a chef's kiss. Totally mind-blowing. He also made two incredible cakes that I ended up buying a cookbook for. And it's the Heartwood cookbook if you want to check it out. But it's a coconut layer cake and the pineapple upside down cake in that cookbook. Two of the best cakes I've ever eaten in my life. Every meal that weekend was perfection. Um, I would definitely go back to the villa just for the food. And in fact, my mom loves coconut. So I brought up the idea to make the coconut cake for Christmas day because we have all of the family coming over. It's like 18 people and people are sure to eat it. So (laughs) I think we're going to do that. And I'm excited to eat it again. And hopefully I'm able to nail the recipe like he did. All right, let's talk about my favorite trip this year. I think if you'd have asked me a few years ago, my favorite trip would have been somewhere abroad, like somewhere I hadn't been before. Um, some somewhere kind of exotic to me. But this year, I think my favorite trip was actually this March when I went to Carmel with my mom and sister. I went on a few amazing trips this year to Charleston, to London and Paris, and most recently to Copenhagen, Amsterdam and Paris. But for some reason, that particular Carmel trip just sticks out in my mind. We didn't do anything new or crazy. We just did the usual eat, drink, shop, walk around. But it was just so fun. And I think part of it is I've been craving more time with my family these days. I'm not going to lie. I feel like 2022, I felt a little more lonely than I have in the past. And so spending more time with my family has kind of been an antidote to that. And these trips together feel even more special. I don't know if it's my age or the fact that my mom and stepdad are getting older or what, but I want to spend more time with them. And you guys know this about me. I've always been very independent. I've never really felt like I needed to be home. But lately, I just kind of want to. Something I've been thinking about lately is actually moving to Austin. But considering I just bought my house in Dallas in 2020 and maybe another few years before I really do that, but it's definitely been on my mind. I always thought I would end up in Austin, but because all of my friends are here and doing my work in Dallas has always made sense, I never went for it. But we'll see what the future brings. You just never know. Another trip that was super fun this year was going to Charleston with Liza in April. We had some incredible meals. We did some great shopping, went on a walking tour. The weather was beautiful, except for one super hot day. And we also shot some great content. It's just, it's hard not to enjoy Charleston. It's so charming. Again, great restaurants, great shopping. And I did a recap of this trip on the podcast. If you want to go back and listen, it's episode number 35 and it's called Southern Charm. Now let's talk about some favorite purchases. I already shared a bunch of these in episode 63, so I won't go through all of those again, but I thought I'd highlight a couple of them here. So my favorite home purchase, since I'm still very much in the decorating phase at my house, it takes a while because it's so freaking expensive. I thought I'd share my favorite home purchase this year. And it is 100% the sheepskin ottoman I bought for my closet at Laralee Clark in Dallas. They have a location in the design district and have so many gorgeous pieces for every space in your home. And until this summer, I didn't have anywhere to sit in my bedroom, bathroom or closet to put on my shoes. I just all I had was my bed, which is too high off the ground for that. And so most of the time I was putting my shoes on by sitting on the floor, which didn't seem like a big deal until I got the ottoman. It felt like a real luxury to sit on something other than the ground. I'm still waiting on the velvet chair I bought for my room, but once I have that, I'll have two options for sitting down in there. My favorite beauty item I discovered this year was NARS Audacious Lipstick in the color Raquel. I had been on the hunt for a good pink neutral lipstick shade for a while and finally found one that is perfect for my coloring. I love that it goes on smooth but ends up matte. It makes the color pop and really stays on well. It's just... The perfect everyday color for me. I cannot recommend it enough. I love that line of lipsticks. That's my first time trying the Audacious lipsticks. I'll definitely be buying more of them. I just love the formula. In terms of skincare, Paula's Choice Exfoliate is definitely at the top of my list. I've said this before, but when it comes to my skincare routine, simple, stupid is how I've always done it. I'm very lazy. So, I remove my makeup with makeup wipes every night. I wash my face in the shower after I work out in the morning, and then I follow that up with Paula's Choice before putting on moisturizer. That's pretty much my skincare routine. Over the last few years, though, I've noticed more discoloration and texture differences on my skin, and Polish Choice has made major improvements to the tone and texture of my skin. And I started using it in the spring, and I convinced my mom to try it, and she's loving it as well. It's amazing, but it is strong. I only use it once a day because I have pretty sensitive skin, but I'm really pleased with the results. To close out this week's episode, I thought I'd share the top five most listened to episodes of the Beck and Call podcast this year. Just in case you need something to listen to over the holidays while you're traveling, cooking, or on a mental health hot girl walk, here are the top five performing podcast episodes this year in no particular order. So episode number 30, the highs and lows of being an influencer. So I talk about all of the things that I love and sometimes hate about what I do for a living. Episode 62, blogging babies and living your best life with Kathleen Barnes. She was such a fun guest. She is so funny and has some great insights to share about one, being an influencer, but also running a business while being a new mom. Um, I really love that episode. I got a lot of great feedback from that episode. She is just such a gem. Episode number 32, Gone But Not Forgotten, Coping With Grief. This is the episode where I talk about losing my dad and going through that and how I got through those tough years following his death and just since, I guess. And next we have episode 24, which is a catch up with Kate Kennedy. I'm sure most of you know who she is, but she is the podcaster behind Be There in Five and a great friend of mine. This was when she was in Dallas for her Dallas live show and she and Courtney and Kate's sister, Kelly, had to stay at my house for several days because of the big freeze that was going on. So it's it's sort of an all over the place episode, but everybody loves her. So that was a very popular episode. And then episode number twenty five, which was these are a few of my favorite things. And that one came out right after Kate. So that was like in February. And so I'd be interested to go back and listen to that and see if those things remain true (laughs) at the end of the year. Um, But just literally me talking about some of my favorite things across a variety of topics. So kind of a grab bag there. But. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I think it's pretty short. If you are enjoying the podcast, please consider giving Beck and Call a five-star rating and writing a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Beck and Call Podcast for episode visual guides, audio clips, and more behind-the-scenes podcast content. I hope you all have a very Merry Christmas to those who celebrate and a very Happy New Year. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and I will catch you guys the first week of January. Bye.